Trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Please contact your account representative for more information on these risks. Past performance is not indicative of future results. If you like grain markets and other stuff, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Baklovic. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm up to 25,000 downloads. That's fantastic. Thank you for listening. If you are not subscribed already, make sure you go to Apple or Google or wherever and subscribe. But I really appreciate you listening. Um, glad that this has been a success so far. I really am. This has been a crazy week. This has been one of the busiest uh, feels like one of the longest weeks that I can remember uh, for a number of reasons. Um, I guess part of it is is the action in the markets and the endless volatility in all of these markets that we've seen this week. And, and it's not new to this week, but it just feels like this week for some reason was, was longer and, and busier. I think part of it has to do with the the total kind of quarantine situation that a lot of us have found ourselves in. I'm stuck at home with three kids under the, well, four and under. And uh, I think everybody's kind of going a little stir crazy. And there's probably, probably a lot of you that can relate to that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a long week. Feels like a long week. Um, be happy to have a couple days off. It has been raining cats and dogs down here in the South. We've had a lot of rain uh, in the Nashville area the last several days. We got more coming today, although it has been warmer. I got some yard work done yesterday. It was 75 degrees in my house and humid yesterday. And then tomorrow morning, I think I'm going to go fishing, but it's supposed to be 30 in the morning. So we've got a big cold front blowing in. Um, there's already been some talk about, you know, potential planting delays and things along those lines because of wet weather and flooding potential. It's too early to get worked up about that stuff. I was just on, um, I just did a segment with with John Jenkinson on RFD radio on the XM station. If you don't uh, listen to that station, you should. And uh, he was asking me about the potential for flooding and its impact on uh, the the markets. And what you got to remember about late planting is that 2019 and what happened last year was kind of an anomaly. Uh, Typically, the markets really don't rally a whole lot or really react to late planting. There's not a really strong correlation between a crop that's planted a couple weeks late and, and bad yields. Some would even argue that there's no correlation. Uh, so you got to remember last year, the rally didn't start till May. So we're sitting here, you know, mid to late March. It's too early to talk about planting delays in regard to the market. Now to talk about planting delays in regard to your specific farming operation, that's a different story, and, and the logistics of getting the crop in the ground, I understand that. But to talk about it in regard to, uh, you know, you should be bullish the market because of this flooding potential, that's, uh, that's you're a little ahead of, of things here, I think. Um, so today I wanted to, figured I'd get that out of the way because I just got off the radio and it was the first thing that popped into my head. But we're going to talk a little bit about the news, a little bit about the headlines this week, a uh, little bit about what's driving these markets or what has driven... Uh, the markets this week. And uh, I imagine next week's going to be busy as well. We're not out of the woods with this whole situation yet. So coronavirus, that's the deal. Um, the number of cases in the U.S. up over 14,000. 
uh, the number of deaths in the U.S. up to 205. Those numbers, the, the number of cases in particular spiked by, what, 50% just in a day, I think. And and that's not because the number of cases spiked necessarily. It's because there's been more testing and because we now have more confirmed cases that were already there in all likelihood. Um, so are we close to you know what what they say on TV? Are we close to flattening the curve? I don't really know. I have no idea. I'm not an infectious disease expert. I'm not really here to talk about that part of it. I'm here to talk about the markets. Um, the impact on on the economy and on jobs cannot be ignored. And that's why you've seen such a drastic sell-off in the equity markets. Um, it's why you've seen a lot of volatility in, in some of these other markets. So this is this is a deal that's going to have a real impact on on people's lives. I mean, you got to think of all the hourly workers, um, all of the people who work in retail, um, people that work in the hospitality business, in in restaurants, in bars, in hotels, those sort of people. There's this thing's going to have some some far-reaching economic consequences uh, as it stands, and they could be much worse depending on how far this thing goes on. In terms of demand for the actual products that that I talk about here on this show for corn, soybeans, for wheat, for uh, beef, for pork, that sort of thing. Um, some some of what's happened is expected and some of it kind of unexpected. The, the unexpected thing that really sticks out to me has been the demand on the protein front. If you look at the boxed beef market, what it's done during this, you know, most people thought, okay, every restaurant in the country's shut down for the most part. Uh, the boxed beef market and, and demand there for beef is going to drop off. And we've seen the exact opposite. We've seen a huge surge in the boxed beef market and in demand for beef, um, mainly because I think people are stocking up. Uh, the grocery stores are are cleaned out. Um, so you're seeing the demand at the retail level and not from the restaurants. It's it's shifted gears. Uh, does that last or not? I don't know. We probably see a short-term top in, boxed beef mark, in the boxed beef market here. At some point, pretty soon, and and then we'll go back to more normal type levels, I guess, and and hopefully not to too, levels that are too cheap. Uh, so that was kind of unexpected. Now, in regard to uh, pork demand, there has been good poultry demand. I've I've heard has been excellent. Uh, grains. There's uh, some other stories here that I think are a little bit more important than the virus, but there are concerns about logistics. Uh, there's been some talk about South American logistics and how um, how there could be some port closures in South America, how the virus in all likelihood is going to spread through Brazil and through Argentina and through some of these places that, that essentially we compete with for export business. And that could actually turn around and become a positive uh, for some of our markets. But I don't know if we're quite to that point yet. Been some talk about that, certainly. Uh, sentiment. When you when you take the virus and you take such a drastic chunk off of the economy in such a short period of time, sentiment is going to be negative for just about everything. And I'm I'm happy to see that the grain markets were able to recover a little bit, and that the livestock markets were able to recover a little bit late this week. But the sentiment here, I still think, is is very negative across the board, and and sentiment in general until this thing turns, until it looks like there's some light at the end of the tunnel with this virus, I think that the sentiment's going to be negative. I don't know that the big funds are going to want to take any real aggressive long positions in any of these markets. Um, but we hope that we see that light at the end of the tunnel pretty soon. The other big story that that's developed here over the last couple of weeks is this crude oil situation. And 
essentially what happened here is the Saudis and the Russians couldn't reach a, uh, an agreement to cut production. So the Saudis went the other way and they said, we're going to raise production to record levels. We're going to do it for months on end and we're going to initiate this price war. And that's essentially what they've done. And that's why crude oil dropped down to $20 a barrel this week. Um, the Saudis are just increasing production at a time at a time when demand is being reduced because of this virus. So you've got just the perfect storm of negative news for the crude oil market here. Record production from Saudi Arabia, plus reduced demand probably everywhere in the world because of this virus. So it's really a bad deal. And and why do I talk about that on on the grain markets and other stuff podcast? It's because of the ethanol relationship, obviously. And um, ethanol, the ethanol industry, USDA projects will account for 38 or 39 percent of U.S. corn usage during this marketing year, and that's kind of been par for the course the last several years at 40 percent, give or take. Um, so we've got a, a big chunk, really the biggest chunk of, of demand for U.S. corn at risk here. And depending on which analyst you talk to, and I talk to a lot of very smart people, um, they think that the ethanol number for this marketing year, the marketing year that ends on August 31st of 2020, that ethanol um, uh, demand number could be reduced by 100 million bushels, 200 million bushels, 300 million, 400 million. So you're, you're now talking a situation where the U.S. corn carryout at the end of of August this year is not going to be the 1.8 billion that USDA has on paper right now. You're talking a number that could be 2.1, 2.2, 2.3 billion. Uh, You hope it doesn't come to that, but I I can't say that that's outside the realm of possibility. The one thing that could happen um, with this situation is that it could go back in the other direction just as quickly as as it fell apart. Uh, You know, you could come in, on Monday and over the weekend, the Saudis could have hit some sort of agreement and the whole thing and the whole dynamic could change very, very quickly. I think that that's something that you got to keep in mind here. I don't think that this is necessarily a death sentence for ethanol right now. Um, but if this, if the Saudis stick with this thing for two, three, four months, it, it's very, very bad news. And you're going to see, you know, we've already heard reports of some ethanol plants shutting down and, and slowing production. We haven't seen it reflected in the weekly ethanol production numbers yet, but I, I believe you will see it reflected there pretty soon. So we, we've got to hope that this oil thing turns around. We really do, because that's a big, big, big deal. And I don't, uh, I, I try not to make decisions based on the headlines. I try not to trade based on the headlines and, and what the flavor of the week is in regard to the news. But uh, that's that's an important deal. It's an important situation to keep an eye on. So the other big piece of news that developed uh, just here on Friday, well, it was confirmed on Friday, was that China is actually buying, confirmed by the USDA, buying corn from the U.S. and buying HRW wheat from the U.S. There may have been some soybeans bought out of the U.S. There's sales to unknown destinations. This is a fantastic headline. It's a fantastic headline. It's great to see. It's great to report. But the amounts are very minimal at this point. You're talking 30 million bushels of corn. You're talking 13 million bushels of wheat. That's nothing. That's not enough to put a dent in the balance sheets. What we've got to hope here, if you want to take the optimistic view, you've got to hope that this is the tip of the iceberg and that we see additional larger purchases from China and that China actually is interested or does show some interest in attempting to hit 
the targets that were outlined in that phase one trade deal. You're going to need to see a lot more of what you saw here on Friday in regard to purchases if they're to even come close. And it's going to have to be spread out over every commodity. It's going to have to be more corn, uh, more wheat, more soybeans, more pork, more beef, more ethanol. I mean, it's going to have to be everything and, and essentially record amounts of everything if they're to hit that target. I still, personally, I'm still very, very skeptical that they'll come anywhere near that $38.5 billion um, by the end of the calendar year that was outlined in the trade deal. But do they make a, do they make an effort? Do they try to get there? Do they, do they try to get there? And, and then when we get closer to the, that deadline, they come back to the U S and say, you know what? We had coronavirus. Uh, it, it was a big issue. It, it reduced our ability to make those purchases, but we, we gave it a good shot. You can see it. Is that what they're going for? Or are they not even going to make an attempt here? Um, the optimistic view would be that they're making an attempt the pessimistic view would be that um, these are not enough purchases and China has a history of canceling purchases in a lot of instances and that this just isn't anything to be excited about. I don't know where I stand on it. I just know that I, I see the numbers today. They look good, but we need a lot more of them. Uh, the other thing that maybe relates to that story was something I mentioned earlier, and that's the logistics issues in South America. So there's one city in particular in Argentina that shut down its ports, and um, it sounds like Brazil's going to remain open. But uh, we've seen a big surge in meal prices, meal futures, meal uh, cash meal prices in China. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with this Argentina situation. Argentina is, of course, the world's largest exporter of meal. So that's a product that maybe is is potentially ripe for some better export demand to China in particular. And, and the cash traders in China that the newswires are quoting here today uh, said that, you know, they're already kind of preparing for a meal shortage, which should be great news for us here in the U.S. sitting on this big stockpile of soybeans. So um, there's a lot of moving parts here this week. It's one of the, it's in, in terms of, of the things that have happened, the headlines, the, the chain, the, the very quick change in, in just the whole structure of these markets just over the last two weeks really, uh, is, is really phenomenal. It's, it's not, I don't think it's really like anything I've ever seen before. I mean, Weather scares happen almost every year, and that's something that we've become accustomed to. I've seen a whole bunch of those. Uh, this situation with the, the virus and the Saudis happening at the same time and the implications that come along with both of those items are really just unprecedented. I mean, I, I worked in these markets through 2008, and I think this is I think this is much crazier than 2008 uh, for for a number of reasons, and some people might disagree with me on that, but that's that's the way I see it. Especially just because this happened so 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 quickly. I mean, we went from a normal society in the United States to the whole country's on lockdown in, in a matter of days. Essentially, it, it's really it's really unbelievable, and it's unbelievable that the crude oil thing and the energy thing uh, did what it did um, in that same time frame. It's very interesting. I talked about sentiment earlier, and the best way to gauge sentiment, in my opinion, is through the position of large speculators, the funds. And as you know, I love the CFTC data. I think it's I think it's invaluable. I think it may be the best piece of information that we have. As a matter of fact, if you had if you had if you gave me a choice and you said, Joe, you can have uh, for the rest of your life, you can have either the CFTC reports or the USDA reports. I believe I'd take the CFTC reports. Uh, USDA reports have never really done me any good in terms of. Uh, making decisions or marketing grain or anything like that. I, I've 
made use of the CFTC information and um, have made good use of it over the years. But in any case, uh, the funds are pretty heavily short, the row crops here, corn in particular. At the end of this week, they're going to be go home short probably 150, 160,000 contracts of corn. That's not a super extreme position, but I, I'll call it a heavy position uh, in the corn market. In soybeans, maybe short 40 or 50,000. Again, not extreme, but but fairly heavy uh, in the beans. So your sentiment there is negative. Now, we've seen some something a little bit different in the wheat market. Funds are long SRW wheat, and they had cleared that position out. But now with this better demand here domestically and some sales to China, the, the large speculators gone back long the SRW wheat market. Um, so sentiment mostly negative with the exception of, of wheat here, I guess. And uh, I don't know if I'm thrilled. If I was a, a fun trader, I don't know if I'd be thrilled with a long wheat position here. We've got U.S. harvest coming up. We've got harvest and, and more bushels of wheat coming uh, through the global pipeline here during the next several months. So um, that's been a nice rally in the wheat and, and the funds are long and that's part of the reason why. So to go to grain marketing and, and I talked about, I've talked about grain marketing on this podcast extensively. Um, one of the things that I said in a previous episode, you know, one of my recommendations in terms of, of how to improve your grain marketing was to ask yourself the very simple question, is this a marketing opportunity? And I think that most of, of, of you out there listening, especially when you look at the corn market or the soybean market, if I asked you that question, is this a marketing opportunity, and you looked at these prices below the cost of production, you're probably going to tell me no, but I don't know that that's necessarily stopped people from from making decisions this week. This this these headlines and the jitters associated with this deal, with this coronavirus deal, and with this oil deal are are. I can't say I've I've I, I think I've seen people this scared before, but um, this seems like a different animal for for a few different reasons. So I'm not going to really change my game plan a whole lot when it comes to marketing. I don't think I'm going to go personally, this is me. I don't think I'm going to go make a bunch of panic sales here because I'm scared. Now, we've rallied off the lows in the soybean market especially and the wheat market. There may be a point here in the coming in the next week or two where I decide to lay off a little bit more risk just just because we're in such an incredibly high risk environment. But in terms of the things that I look for when it comes to marketing opportunities, it just my parameters are not hit here, not any of them. I mean, my my first parameter typically is, is am I above the cost of production? We don't check that box. Um, are the funds long? No, we don't check that box. Not in the row crop markets, we don't. Is the sentiment bullish? No, we don't check that box. I mean, I don't really see much here uh, that, that tells me that this is a marketing opportunity other than the fear other than the fear and 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 the the idea that these markets could go a whole heck of a lot lower. So I'm not changing my game plan. I know that sometimes uh you know drastic times call for drastic measures or or maybe you need to adjust, but I just I don't know if I'm ready to do it yet because I I don't know if uh me as a marketing as a grain marketing advisor, I don't know how long I'll be in business if I if I tell you to make sales below the cost of production, especially new crop sales. I mean, I uh, I just I don't know if I'm going to do it because it doesn't it doesn't hit any of the of the things that 
in terms of those parameters I mentioned, it doesn't hit any of those things that have worked for me well over the years. It just it just doesn't. And it, maybe this is the end of the world, but maybe it's not. And I'm I'm going to go with the idea that it's probably not. Um, I have had a few people ask me about the stock market because I've talked I've talked about the stock market on uh, the show before. I've I've told people, yes, I'm an investor in the stock market. I buy stocks, I hold them, and I never sell them. And uh, that's what I continue to do. Um, I think this is potentially a great opportunity uh, for younger people in particular to get involved in the market. Um, is it too early? It, it may very well be. Um, I personally, and this is not a recommendation at all, I've thrown about as much cash at this thing during the last two weeks as I can uh, for the moment. And that's, that's my personal retirement stash that I'm not touching for two to three decades, ideally. So, um, am I worried about, given that that's the situation for me, am I worried about, uh, this, this sell off? No, I think it's an opportunity. And, and I've had people, I mean, I have friends call me and say, what are you doing in the stock market? And I told them, and they said, man, that's, that's really gutsy to do that. And, and my thought on it is no, that's not gutsy at all. What, what was gutsy was buying all time highs every month, uh, for the last however many years buying a 30% correction is not the gutsy move. I don't think, I think, I think personally buying those all time highs every month, the last few years has been, was probably the, the, the scarier move to me at least, um, and the market's on sale here. Uh, it's not to say it couldn't get worse. It's not to say that this 30% correction couldn't turn into a 50% correction. But I mean, very long term, it's the way I see it, to, to put it very simply, it's it's either the end of the world or it's a great buying opportunity one way or the other. So that's, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at that. I'm, I'm hoping it's a good buying opportunity and not the end of the world. And if it is the end of the world, then you can bury me with all my stocks and index funds that are worth absolutely nothing. Uh, hope you guys have a good weekend. Um, I'm going to try to get back on Monday and do an update. I think I have a feeling there's going to be a lot to talk about here for weeks and weeks and weeks to come. So I'm going to try to do these and put these longer, uh, form episodes out twice a week, uh, while this mess continues, uh, ideally. Um, so everyone have a good weekend. Enjoy the time with your family. Try not to go too crazy. Um, I won't lie. My kids are driving me nuts, but, uh, what you going to do? Remember, if you do need some help with your grain marketing, go to my website, go to standardgrain.com, click on grain marketing plan. My subscription service is 49 bucks a month. Um, it's billed to your credit card through PayPal automatically every month, and you can cancel it at any time. So there's no invoices. You don't have to write a check. You set it up once and, and you're done. If you don't like it after that first month or even after that first week, uh, you just cancel the thing. But I think if you're looking for a level-headed approach, you're looking for some new advice, uh, maybe a new school of thought. I can help you out with that. My morning email goes out every day at 6.30 Central Time. It's got a text message service that pairs with it. And uh, anytime I'm selling corn, soybeans, or wheat throughout the year, you will be alerted. So uh, check that out if you think you need some help. Everyone have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday.